Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, Royfield, you're all bearded up. I know. Oh, do you like it? Do, do you <laughs> like my scrub? I like it. Yeah, you're looking good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, when Doug's gone, Emma will talk. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. means Brexit. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. I'm Royfield Brown, who's in a wet, grey, almost almost wintry like bay area and today i'm joined by emma burnell in london and doug levy in marin county say hello folks hello, hello folks, folks. <laughs> and that, just so you know that's the third time we've said that um <laughs> in a week that has seen uk pub numbers rise for the first time in a decade we ask will trump finally get his comeuppance with the start of senate impeachment hearings but before we go on to u.s politics we have a call and it's from Mark Everdon and it's regarding our first topic, the Labour Party Leadership Contest. Hello, this is Mark Everdon here, um, uh, tweeting as Yokel Bear on the Twitters. Um, I kind of have um, a question with a bit of a preamble. Um, one of my big bugbears at the moment about um, Labour, and I'm just about hanging in there with membership, is that yeah I've, I've heard a lot over the last couple of years from a lot of Labour supporters that seem to suggest that actually they're kind of they're putting principle above power now I think it's important to have principles but certainly in the last year or so I had a lot of people say well it doesn't matter if we win the election what we're doing is is um is building a movement but to be honest with you that movement's by the time this last election had come, it just completely abated. There was no Corbyn movement by that point. There were just people on Twitter. Anyway, so my question is quite simply this. Is Labour full of people that are just addicted to being in opposition? Has the whole idea of actually winning power 
is it not kind of something that they want? And certainly after Corbyn, you know, missed out big time this time, loads of people were saying, well, there's a positive side to this, and lots of people saying he should stay. You know, which is ridiculous after losing twice. But anyway, so that's my question. Do you think that Labour's addicted to being in opposition? Emma, I, I feel that this question is solely aimed at you. Go. Uh, I think Mark is uh, a wise, wise man uh, who understands the Labour Party probably better than most Labour Party members do because he's absolutely right. There is this awful addiction to losing well. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom Lehrer in 1964 had this wonderful, wonderful song uh, called The Folk Song Army. Uh, and in it, there's a line where it says, remember the war against Franco. It's the kind where each of us belongs. Though he may have won all the battles, we had all the good songs. <laughs> and that, for me, is the modern Labour Party right there. Emma, is it the Labour Party or is it left politics throughout the world? There is a lot of people on the left who seem to be addicted to the struggle and don't like power and let's take the Iraq war to one side and I know that many people on the left in the Labour Party struggle to but isn't that part of the reason why the left or at least the modern Labour Party hates Tony Blair is because he was a winner. No I don't think that's entirely fair um, I think that the modern but it's partly Labour... fair then. It, it is partly fair for a small portion of the Labour Party. Mm-hmm. Um, some other, a larger portion of the Labour Party hate Tony Blair because they feel he compromised too much to win, mm-hmm. uh, and they do not feel that some of those compromises were necessary. Um. And that is what led to Iraq. And I know we've put that to one side, but to be honest, it it is a part of how he ended up where he ended up, how we ended up where we ended up, and why we can't look at his record better than we do. Mm. And he's never admitted that he made a mistake about uh, joining Bush in that war in Iraq, has he? No, and if you look at the speech he made after the Chilcot, finally 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 um came out uh you know there was all this uh, he gave an hour long i think speech and actually he should have gone on stage and went you know what i fucked up i'm sorry Mm. i'm going to listen and learn so moving back to 2020 and not uh 2004 five i just think mark is totally right uh the labor party has a massive nostalgia problem Mm mm-hmm there's a lovely saying that I don't know where it's from, and I wish I did. Um, if you look at the Beatles, Paul McCartney was nostalgic for the past. John Lennon was nostalgic for the future. Mm-hmm. Labour is far too good at being Paul McCartney and needs to get hold of its internal John Lennon. I was kind of talking to somebody about this philosophically in the last week or so, talking about the fact that uh, right of centre parties ultimately you can say don't have um, an ideology which they adhere to at all they're incredibly pragmatic well, in, I mean, in look that at way. the difference between uh, Mitt Romney and Trump well there's a huge I mean there's a, there's an ocean of difference between actual conservatism and tear it all down which is not conservative at all mm, no 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 true uh, Trump is not um he's not remotely conservative no he's not he's not 
They may be right wing, but they aren't conservative. Exactly. They're right wing, but they're not conservative. The Labour Party is attached to nostalgia. We kind of do like to be in opposition. Doug, just before we go on to our main topics, which is the Labour Party leadership and Trump and impeachment, um, I kind of think that Democrats uh, are kind of touched by this brush as well, that they kind of do like to be um, at least... Democratic Party operatives. We're not on about Democratic mm. voters um, out there in in America, but the Democratic Party op- operatives do like to be on the outside, uh, have an idea of what um, a utopia would be. And utopia is always perfect if you don't have the levers of government, isn't it? Absolutely. We advocate for massive overhauls of existing systems. And in fact, what we're seeing right now in the contest for the Democratic nomination is you have some very pragmatic politicians who are saying we need change. We need big change. But that doesn't mean we should reject small change, modest changes if we're going in the right direction. But there's also a huge number of people on the left and probably on the right as well who want big change to the way that they want or nothing. And that's really what tripped up the Democrats in 2016. Obviously, this has been a tumultuous week if you are a member of the British royal family. And because of the international ramifications of the Duke and Duchess of Sussex moving to Canada, we decided to speak to our resident voice in Canada, Laura Babcock, about Canadians' thoughts and feelings on the imminent arrival of the royal couple. Uh, Laura... Canadians must be beside themselves with excitement because um, Canada is now being put on the map because our royals, your royals, actually want to live there. We've got Harry and Meghan wanting to move to Canada. What can go wrong? Canadians must be excited. We were initially. I think mm-hmm. that Harry is very, very popular with Canadians. If you ask most Canadians, they remember exactly where they were when his mother died. And so they hold him very closely and are very supportive of his marriage and, of course, of his baby and the fact that Meghan Merkel actually worked and lived in Toronto. There's a real connection to her. Mm-hmm. However, when the news came out that as internationally protected persons, there could be as much as a $10 million annual security cost that would be footed by the Canadian taxpayer, that has really changed the discussion here. And a poll just done nationally says that 73% of Canadians don't want to pay it. So we're, we're in this point where if Meghan and Harry are leaving the royal family from full-time duties because they want to be financially independent and have their own life, a lot of Canadians feel, okay, be financially independent and then don't depend on Canada to pay for your security. For people that just don't know, um, what exactly is the constitutional um, arrangement with the royal family and, and Canada? Well, of course, um, we are part of the Commonwealth, and our head of state, if you will, our governor general, as a figurehead, mm-hmm. has a big mansion downtown Ottawa, you know, and if Prime Minister Trudeau wants to dissolve Parliament and, and cause an election, he has to go to the governor general to sign off on it. There's really no real role. It's just a symbolic role. The last time that the governor general was really engaged was when there was a prime minister that wanted to prorogue our, pol- our parliament years ago. Mm-hmm. But I mean, really, it's just a figurehead. And Canadians aren't terribly supportive of that 
figurehead, and I would argue of the royal family in general. A couple of people uh, might really still be fans of the royals, uh, and certainly they get a good, they're received very well when any of them visit here, but you don't have a general sense that Canadians feel highly connected to the UK or to the royal family. And so when it comes to them living here, great fun, but when it comes to paying additionally for that, that's where Canadians are having an issue with Harry and Meghan possibly living here. It's kind of interesting. I've always thought that one of the, um, historically anyway, not talking about necessarily now in 2020, but one of the key defining differences between the US and the Canada was Canada's link back to the UK. And it's somewhat of a a sentimental and a kind of symbolic one and, and the royal family is is kind of part of that you know the queen still is on some canadian money it's going to be interesting to read that uh, one of canada's biggest newspapers also said that harry and Meghan are not welcome to live in canada because it would kind of violate the laws that keep uh, the british royal family kind of at arm's length and it kind of breaks an unspoken constitutional taboo. So is this exactly what you're saying? It's a case of you can come over two, three times a year, cut a few ribbons, shake a few hands, but fundamentally stay out of our way. Yeah, and Harry is, and Meghan are the exception because Meghan already lived in Toronto and mm-hmm. Harry is wildly popular. So, you know, it's exciting to have them here. And I don't think that they in particular, as a young family, any Canadians would say you're not welcome to live here. But what Canadians don't want to be is sort of tied formally, whether we're paying for it. We, you know, we're, we're very proud of the fact that we are Canadians. And while they're, depending on what town you visit or what city, you're going to find a lot of people who are fans of the Royals. Mm-hmm. It depends on, of course, immigration to our, our vast country. But generally speaking, Canadians are respectful at a distance. <laughs> and don't want to incur any other headaches that sometimes the royal family and their drama might bring. I must admit, I've always been surprised whenever I go to Canada and I go into um, in, into into a shop sell, selling magazines. Uh, Canadian, is it okay or hello? I forget which one. It's for, it always has the royal family on the front. And it, it always surprises me. I would say there is a, a soft admiration is the wrong word appreciation i'm getting my adjectives completely not any wildly wrong here but there is there there is that kind of knowing soft link back to to the royal family and it, and it constantly surprises me and it has been underlined by the fact that Meghan, she's American, but she spent her time in Toronto, as you've said, that when she became a royal, it's like, wow, I, I'm always seeing her on, on the front of uh, kind of various kind of soft soap uh, kind of magazines in Canada. I think the Canadians really, really loved both Lady Diana and Princess Diana. And as I said, her death would be listed as one of the maybe top 15 moments that Canadians remember mm-hmm. where they were. And so Harry, watching him grow up, watching him struggle, uh, there's a tremendous amount of empathy and emotional connection to Harry in particular. And so it depends really on on the royals for this generation, for my generation, certainly, and others uh, around my age, 
we like maybe them as individuals, but do we love the entire drama that is the royal family? Do we love the idea that, you know, you have to parade out these women right after they've had birth in four-inch heels and take photos? And all that stuff just seems archaic, and it seems very, uh, it, doesn't, they don't, it doesn't feel as though they're liberated and they're not living freely. So I don't think, unless you are a Canadian, maybe of an older generation who has really ties to the team, or to the Queen, rather, and to the royal family. Like my mother, for instance, she's in her 70s. We come from a family of United Empire loyalists generations and generations ago. So for my mother group of friends, they very much care about the royal family, and they would purchase those magazines. But for a lot of others, okay, if, the, if one of the royals is someone that we like, and they're fun, and they do good work, sure. But beyond that, it's not much more loyal than that. So ju- just to close, come over here if you want, but... Canadians aren't going to pay for you and come over if you want and live somewhat uh, discreetly and we'll, we'll put up with you then. One of the best things about living in Canada, as you know from your visits here, is that we don't like to get in people's faces. We don't tend to worship celebrities. We don't bug them when we see them at coffee shops or in restaurants. We don't have the kind of tabloid press that you famously have over there. So if you're going to come to Canada, we'll leave you alone. You, know, you leave us alone. Just don't make it a burden. Laura Babcock, thank you for giving us an insight on Harry and Meghan's proposed move to uh, the great frozen north. (laughs) Thank you. Once seen as Jeremy Corbyn's heir apparent, Rebecca Long-Bailey was a late entrant into the Labour leadership race. I've invited everyone here today because, as you might have heard, I'm standing to become the leader of the Labour Party. For her first campaign visit, she went to Newcastle-under-Lyme a Labour-held constituency for nearly a century, but lost to the Tories in last month's general election. Her aim? To find out what went wrong. Certainly Brexit was a huge issue. We weren't trusted on Brexit, thought we were trying to overturn the referendum results, and our compromise solution failed to convince many of our Remain and Leave voters, quite frankly. But in the town, voters said Mr Corbyn was a problem for Labour. I really did not like Mr Corbyn. Corbyn lies down. Ms Long Bailey and the front-runner Sir Keir Starmer have already secured the 22 nominations from MPs required to reach the next stage of the contest. Launching his campaign in Manchester, the pro-Remain Sir Keir failed to mention Brexit in his speech. Instead, he spoke of the need for party unity. We are not going to trash the last Labour government. Many Labour MPs want Sir Keir to take the party forward, but Ms Long-Bailey will hope that she's to the taste of party members. Clive Lewis, the Labour MP, who was standing to be the leader of the Labour Party, but has now bowed out, said that the current leader contest was never just about the Labour leadership but about our survival as a political movement and mapping our path to power. Emma, was he right in saying that? Yes, completely. Um, I think everybody has a different vision of what that path might be. And I think that's what's really important here, is that the Labour Party needs to elect somebody who is at the very least going to bring the party back into trying to win rather than in trying to... um, lose gracefully 
But I'm sure if I was Jeremy Corbyn and, and I'd ask the question, Jeremy, what were you trying to do in uh, the 2019 election? He's going to say absolutely win. Of course, he will say that out loud. Mm-hmm. But internally, that's not true. Um, they they did not run anything like a winning strategy. And they kind of knew that from their internal polling. They knew what they were getting wrong and they didn't listen to it. In terms of the Labour leadership race, uh, Rebecca Long-Bailey um, seems to have some kind of a lead uh, amongst her opponents on the basis of first preferences. Emma, tell us exactly how this new leader is going to be elected. What actually is the process? So, oh gosh, it's so complicated. So uh, we've just gone through the phase where they had to get elected by MPs. Mm. So we now know who the... Uh, the half shortlist is. So each of those people now uh, for both leader and deputy leader have to do one of the following two things. Either be nominated by 33 constituency Labour parties, i.e. a certain percentage of the Labour Party, Mm -hmm. uh, or be nominated by enough affiliates that make up five percent of the Labour Party so I think it's both it's five percent either way so uh for example Keir Starmer has been nominated by Unison Mm -hmm. that's an enormous nomination pretty much makes up the five percent and just for our uh, listeners who in America who don't know Unison they're the public services union uh union uh they represent workers in the public services Mm -hmm. Uh, so they are enormous. They are basically 5% of the affiliates. So he just needs to get two other affiliates, and that's unions and socialist societies. And everyone forgets social societies, but I really care about the socialist societies, so I don't forget them. Mm-hmm. Um, which means there are, I think, 18 to 19 uh, socialist societies. And this would be people like the organisation, like the Fabian Society. So the Fabian Society is one. Mm-hmm. The Fabians traditionally never take a view uh, because they're a think tank and they want to work with everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but CIRA, for example, who, which I used to run, uh, is the Labour Party's environment campaign. That's a, an affiliated socialist society. Chinese for Labour, uh, which I'm not because clearly I'm not Chinese. Uh, the Jewish Labour Movement used to be called Pole Zion, changed its name to the Jewish Labour Movement. I am an affiliate member of them. I joined... Uh, because of all the nastiness that was happening. Uh, I could vote through them, but I'm a Labour member, so I only get one vote and I'll vote through my membership. Mm -hmm. Um, But lots of people have joined uh, JLM in solidarity to show that they care about what's been happening in terms of anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. Okay. If the election took place today, uh, the results of the poll kind of suggest that Long Bailey would win about 42% of first preferences of Labour Party members, with Keir Starmer coming second with 37%. This is according to Labour List today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How would... Can I just say uh, that Sienna Rogers, Mm -hmm. who is the editor of Labour List, Mm -hmm deserves a massive massive shout out she does a really hard job really well and labelist has was on its knees under its last editor whose name i will not mention and she came in and she has absolutely revitalized it and i do think it's worth saying because we never do say these things Mm -hmm. that sienna deserves a massive shout out you've just done that 
And there you go. Props to you, Mrs. Well done. How would a Long Bailey Labour Party differ from a Keir Starmer-led party? I worry that a Long Bailey-led Labour Party will learn no lessons. That's my that's my concern. I think it's all the same people making all the same mistakes. And I'm not here for that, to be honest. That happens and I'm out. Like My money's better spent elsewhere. But, but where else have you got to go? Why do I always have to have a destination? This is what annoys me. Like, people leave the Labour Party and join the Lib Dems. I'm like, I don't get that. Mm. They have different values from me. I can leave the Labour Party whilst retaining my values and just not be a member of the Labour Party. <laughs> Fair dues. Uh, Doug, um, the two left of centre parties on either side of the Atlantic are going through a leadership uh, contest at the moment. Um, yours is somewhat much further down the road, is a much more long process. Um, what lessons um, can each respective parties learn from their, the, the process of how the leader is actually come by? Well, I think the process is dramatically different from from what happens in the UK. I actually am kind of fascinated at the whole process to qualify to even participate in the voting process. <laughs> mm. I, 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 I would love to go to a caucus. I have no idea what that even looks like. <laughs> well, I'm not saying caucuses are such a good idea. They're kind of weird. And the good part about it is that it does generally increase participation. And it's very active participation. Uh, I was listening to some interviews with some folks in New Hampshire uh, a couple of days ago. And, and you know, these people are saying it's like... I've I've met twenty candidates and I still don't know who to vote for. <laughs> I, I, was, I can't remember the, the the podcast or the program that I was listening to in the last couple of days, but they were talking specifically about Iowa and the way that the the whole kind of caucus process works over there. And being a retail politician is incredibly important in that whole process for um, a potential voter to be able to say that I've shaken the hand of a prospective candidate is absolutely massive and you're 50% of the way there of actually getting that person's endorsement. But there is also something incredibly democratic and fluid about the whole caucus process, that when you're physically at a caucus, it is about persuading people with the, with the strength of your argument. People can be swayed, can hear the arguments for somebody who is vouching for or against uh, a specific candidate. And you do get uh, a kind of kumbaya group think at least you can do at the end where people come out of the process and, and feel like they've participated in in democracy and and actually they've been heard or they've gone along with the will of the majority but they're kind of happy to do that i'm not saying that all caucuses are like that but uh, many people do assign very good experiences to that kind of caucus process but the other thing to say is as well is that specifically in iowa only 20% of registered Democratic voters actually even turn up to a caucus. So you do get those people who are very highly motivated uh, that actually kind of kind of turn up. So you can, again, then kind of skew outcomes that way. You wind it's not up exactly with a, representative. Go on, Doug. You wind up with a more informed voter, and that's a really good thing because I think across all political persuasions in the United States, 
our biggest challenge right now is uh, folks who not only are exactly. oblivious to the details of each candidate's positions or background or anything, we also have a large percentage of voters who fundamentally don't understand how civics operates here. Uh, uh, we've got a problem in this country with people who don't understand the Constitution and what the role of these different people is supposed to be, let alone but, but you know what, what Doug, they Doug, stand Doug, for. Doug, I kind, I kind of worry slightly about that because, number one, you get you can, you can call people high information voters and low information voters. You know, people, you know, politicos like us three that kind of slightly, you know, that go into the weeds and we know about the, the, the policy stances and the nuance that, that between, let's say, a Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. But actually, our concern... And how awful is it that those two are now just completely at each other's throat? Let's come back onto that in, in a little bit. But our concerns aren't necessarily the concerns of Joe Public at all, who see politics through a completely different prism. So when you have those types of people who potentially, after saying that many good uh, things can come out of a caucus, you get people who are political activists who kind of crowd out other types of voters. And you can look at what's happened in the Labour Party in the UK. It's the, the Twitterverse. Exactly. It's yeah. people who are living in a kind of a parallel reality and thinking that their thoughts, feelings, wants actually are the majority. And we end up in the UK with Brexit blindsiding people, blindsiding the media, blindsiding the And left. then Boris doing the same. There you go. Well, and it's, you know. it's not that different over here because what's happened over here is you have a large number of Americans who believe that their paychecks are better, their jobs are stronger because of the current president, even though the facts in many instances are not there to support that. You know, much of the economic growth right now is in spite of federal policies, which is pretty remarkable. I mean, the, the American economy is is more resilient I think that many of us may have expected, but yeah. nobody or hardly anybody is even open to looking at that nuance, let alone considering mm-hmm. it when they're choosing a candidate. No, I think that's the problem, isn't it? Is that you've got this. I mean, to be honest, I don't want Joe Biden to win. I'll be honest. I think he's, he's too centrist for me. But he's also, like, if he ends up being the candidate, I will campaign from here till Tuesday for Joe Biden against Trump. What worries me is the 20% of Democrats who wouldn't. Well, I I was listening uh, to uh, some very interesting interviews with folks from, uh, from Michigan, and the number of people who voted in 2016 but did not vote for either Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. No. Far exceeded, yeah, yeah. I mean, was was multiples of the gap between Clinton and Trump. 
And I think, to be fair, that is my bigger concern about Biden is I, I don't really care about his centrism. I mean, frankly, with where you're at, centrism would be a nice relief. <laughs> Anything would be a nice relief. Exactly. But my worry is that he doesn't bring the voters out. Uh, mm. And Trump does. And that, like, the the annoying thing about Biden's supposed electability is that I don't think he brings people to the polls. I think mm. four years ago he would have. I have concerns about now. I, yeah. I'm not... Like, I don't give a... I adore him. All the Biden-Obama memes are my favorite things in the world. <laughs> All right, Stop. But like, as the host of this podcast, I have to slightly pull this back on track. And here is my uh, here is my link. We're talking about um, specifically who is going to excite voters. Um, Rebecca Long Bailey is hardly known, Emma, by the average UK citizen. Is she? Which out of those prospective Labour Party candidates, right here and now? would actually excite people who are uh, centrist to left in the UK electorate to actually say, yes, the Labour Party feels different. I'm going to give them a second chance. So Rebecca long is actually better known than most of the other candidates because she has been uh, the industry spokesperson for a long time. Uh, they've been pushing her forward from the front bench. So she's been on telly a lot. Uh, that is both her curse and her blessing. She is now basically the continuity Corbyn shadow cabinet candidate because she was the face in many ways of the Corbyn shadow cabinet. Um, so the other characters you've got, uh, I don't think Emily's going to get through the CLP nominations. Uh, she's a lovely person, by the way. I've sung karaoke with Emily. I think she's adorable. Constituency um, Labour Party CLP. Uh, yes, thank you. Um, but I can't see enough of them thinking that Emily is the answer to what bugs them. If you're a Corbyn loyalist, you go Rebecca Long-Bailey. If you're a Corbyn sceptic, you don't go for the person who served as his shadow foreign secretary. So I don't see how she gets there. Keir Starmer is going to absolutely storm through the first hurdle and it will then, I think it's going to be up to members between Continuity Corbyn, Rebecca Long-Bailey and not Corbyn anymore, Keir Starmer. It's going to be really interesting which way Labour goes. Frankly, I, I like Lisa Nandy sometimes. I don't always agree with Lisa Nandy, <laughs> but... I love a leader I can disagree with well, and that's that's Lisa. Tell tell us, just give us one of the reasons why you've had beef with Nandy. I I think she's wrong on Brexit. Uh, I think it's okay to still fight Brexit because it's clearly going to be a disaster for our country. And you need to be saying this is a disaster. And when it happens, you can claim that you were always saying it was a disaster. So I disagree with her on that. On the other hand, I think her attitude towards the economy and rebalancing it is absolutely spot on. And one of the best and most interesting things anyone has said in the Labour Party for 10 years. So I think she's brilliant. 
Do you think that if it's a straight fight between Long Bailey and Starmer, that Long Bailey has to win for no other reason than the Labour Party is the only major political party in the UK that's never had a female leader? And that will weigh on uh, Labour voters, Labour Party members when they come to cast their vote? No, I think Labour Party members will do what they always do and vote for the straight white man. You heard it here first. And on that note, we're going to go to another straight white man. We're going to go to the other side of the Atlantic and talk about Donald J. Trump. Uh, Everyone's favourite straight white man. Yeah. (laughs) Hi, everyone. I'm Elaine Quijano. The Senate has officially accepted the articles of impeachment, setting up the trial over President Trump's removal to begin next week. Overseeing the trial is Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, John Roberts. He and 99 senators were sworn in at the Capitol today. The 100th senator, Oklahoma Republican Jim Inhofe, is back home dealing with a family medical issue. Senators will be hearing evidence and ruling on two articles of impeachment. They are abuse of power in the Trump administration's dealings with Ukraine and obstruction of Congress. President Trump says he wants a short trial. Well, I think it should go very quickly. It's a hoax. It's a hoax. Everybody knows that. It's a it's a complete hoax. The whole thing with Ukraine, everything was false. You have now the Ukrainian president and the foreign minister of Ukraine saying there was nothing done wrong. In fact, they said there was absolutely no pressure whatsoever. Everything was perfect. And they impeach. Today, House impeachment managers will enter the Senate or already have entered the Senate and read aloud the articles of impeachment against President Trump. Chief Justice John Roberts will administer an oath for the senators to deliver impartial justice. Doug, will that be possible considering that McConnell won't do that, of course? He has no intention of approaching Trump's impeachment with impartiality, having already passed judgment on the House of Representatives case against the president calling the Articles of Impeachment weak. This is a serious test of the American Constitution, and I am hopeful that it will work out okay, but I am certainly nervous because the Senate leader proved during the Obama administration that he is loyal to something other than the Constitution of the United States, which is very troubling. Uh, We literally have the exact scenario that the founding people of the United States had in mind when they wrote the Constitution and provided for removal of a dangerous person from the White House. And who knows what's going to happen. I do think Doug, that the... Doug, Doug, is this really a stress test for the American Constitution or is this American politics? Because it seems to me that in terms of the Constitution, the Senate can do whatever the heck it wants. But strictly speaking, uh, the House has called for articles of impeachment against Trump. That's gone up to the Senate. The Senate can say yay or nay or whatever the heck they want. That's just the American Constitution doing its job. This is a stress test. And really what you're talking about is American politics and partisanship and the fact that McConnell has just said before the articles even got there, I'm going to not uh, apply any kind of rigour to this because this is purely, as far as he's concerned, a partisan issue 
and he's just going to brush it underneath the carpet as much as he can. So the Constitution's done its job. This is partisanship, surely. I disagree because... But, but, but Dan, surely the point is, is that they set up the Constitution to try and evade partisanship. And, and that's fact, literally how the Constitution was written, to, was to do that. And and But, but what McConnell is... Sorry, Doug. ...expert... <laughs> at and then over to you Doug because we're just two Brits just trying to make sense out of what what the hell is going on here right but McConnell is expert at procedure precedent and he um and and that and that is his thing right that actually he's the the wiliest political operator in in both houses and whether it is getting uh judges uh, uh, Supreme Court judges is not confirmed in the last uh, year of Obama through getting too uh, hurried through in the first couple of years of Trump. This man knows what he's doing, mm-hmm. and, and and that is it, really. This is all about partisanship. Yeah. I, I think the House uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi did have it right in her remarks right before the articles were sent over to the Senate where she reminded people that she did not want to go down this path. She had good reasons to not want to pursue impeachment, but in her view and the view of the others who voted in favor of the impeachment, the president's actions were unquestionable violations of his constitutional duties and the mm. house had no choice but to pursue this path the hope is that the senators will evaluate the situation based on the facts but there's strong indication they're going to be loyal to party or trump not the constitution but we don't know yet okay so doug um on top of the kind of prima facie case against trump we now have this these new revelations from uh, lev parnas um, an associate of giuliani who has has kind of uh, shone much more of a light as to the goings on in in the ukraine and what he said on maddo yesterday um was was incredibly damning and as it really does crush any kind of remaining Trump defense and it also implicates very heavily Mike Pence and the uh, Attorney General Barr, Devin Nunes et al. What is going to be uh, the Republicans' defense to all of this? Why won't they call witnesses? What's going to be their defense? And how the hell is this Teflon president? Because he will get out of this as, as sure as eggs as president until at least the election exactly i i I don't think this is going to damage him in terms of whatever public standing he he does have that 35 to 40 percent of americans are just behind him whatever but what is going to be the republican parties you are a congressman from from nebraska a red congressman what is going to be your defense against all this new testimony for one thing i think that the revelations show how brilliant Nancy Pelosi has been because the timing that, has that, really worked out well. That is not what the congressman from Nebraska is saying. Well, <laughs> no, but, but, but the, the, the timing is significant because by holding the articles, all of this new information that has come out is part of the record that was delivered to the Senate. So the letter 
from Giuliani to the mm -hmm. president of Ukraine saying that he was contacting him as a personal representative of Trump in his role as private citizen, not as president. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That is an incredible document, which mm. obviously has to be authenticated, but it shouldn't be that hard to do. So I listen to, to Ben Shapiro every other day because I, I because it's good just to hear what the other side is saying. Right, I put it to Fox you again, News sir. Say? What will Fox yes. News's argument that, be? This is this is it, Doug. This this is utterly. <laughs> we're crucial. all liberals. Yeah. Tell me what the other side is going to say. It makes no sense to us as Brits and as outsiders as to how. He can wriggle out of this, but wriggle out of this he will, and he has his surrogates, and he has his uh, people who are going to just stand there and and tell the American people something which is going to create just about enough smoke and confusion. Yeah, okay, that's it. So, it, so all right, I, I will answer your question that I was trying to evade. If if, <laughs> if I was a member of Congress in um, the conservative Nebraska. parts of Iowa or Idaho or Wyoming, uh, I would, if somebody asked me about all this evidence, I would say, look, Trump has made the economy boom. He stood up to China. <laughs> he is doing things yeah. that help us. Mm -hmm. Just ignore it. Yeah. The economy's working. It's working for you. There are jobs. And he's also just killed uh, one of the most evil men in the Middle East. And never mind the Constitution, but... That... Never mind the fact that they're now going to send a million more troops over. <laughs> mm. Doug, I've said that I don't believe that uh, this president is going to be damaged uh, really by this. If the last three years has told us anything, is that people's positions when it comes to Donald J. Trump are already uh, booked and bought. The left loathe him. The majority of voters on the right applaud him. And, and that's just the way that it is. Try and be as dispassionate as possible. Let's say that come November, uh, he, he's defeated in the polls. What immediately is going to happen to Donald J. Trump? Well, no, not immediately, because he still needs to leave office in January. But let's say end of January, early Feb. What is going to happen to Donald J. Trump? My first question would be, does he leave when he's supposed to? No, no, Doug, I, I was really clear. He's going to stay out his term. He's going to go to the polls. He's going to lose. Uh, then you have the transition period and he will formally hand over um, the keys to the office, to, to the Oval Office, to his Democratic uh, rival. <laughs> but isn't the that the question? Do we think he'll do that? Well, let's just say that this utter constitutional norm happened. Okay. One president exits, another one uh, enters. What then happens to Donald Okay, J. fair enough. Over to you. Okay. And that's a little bit easier than figuring out what to do to clean up the mess. <laughs> but um, I think it's entirely unlikely that he will go away quietly. Uh, he will be a loudmouth on the sidelines, presumably. And I would expect that he would be doing everything he possibly could to trip up his successor. And Is he, he in jail. That, that's well, where I'm going with okay. this. Okay. 
so that's, um, that's window. a very real possibility. The sing, sing. potential sing, sing. of tax fraud, particularly in New York State, mm-hmm. uh, is is enormous. And but fuck me, how bad would it be, like politically, to jail an ex president? Good point, and I think this is where things would have to be handled with great care. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how that could actually be done, but there the- would be a lot of pressure. Whatever, uh, whatever verdict is handed on Trump illegally afterwards for that Democratic president to pardon him, wouldn't it? But be, that wouldn't be, be an option because uh, there are both federal, oh, federal charges and state yeah. charges. Yes, okay. And in fact, while there's certainly, I don't think it would be a challenge for a good prosecutor to come up with federal crimes that he could be charged with, the state charges are probably uh, much actionable. easier to prove, yeah. much easier to file, and New York is particularly well equipped to do that. So, so Doug, right, and I say this tongue firmly in cheek, would he still have his Secret Service detail when he's in prison? <laughs> oh, what a question! That is a very great question. Um, so, whether he ultimately goes to trial and gets convicted of anything is a whole separate thing. Mm-hmm. Even if the charges are ironclad, you know it's going to drag out. And I, I don't see him going to prison, although it's amusing to think about. I mean, personally, whenever whenever I see anybody in power... Came, but actually, that doesn't exist anymore. And actually, <laughs> it would probably politically easier if he just went away. Well, exactly. And it could very well be that uh, the the charges get filed and one way to resolve them is he just agrees not to be, on be involved in public office. <laughs> get the fuck off Twitter. Take Owen Jones with you. <laughs> <laughs> right. And on that note, folks. Um, I think we should uh, go to our takeaways of the week. You've probably realised that uh, this has been a somewhat of a, a rumbustuous. Uh, <laughs> I think one of our pundits has been on the vino. That's all I'm saying. And uh, let's go away to our takeaways of the last seven days. It's so you. It's so you, Emma Burnham. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. 
like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I've just been verbally abused. I, I feel threatened. I've been bullied on my own podcast. Uh, and I'll leave you to uh, decide which one yeah, of the two. Yeah, it's so rare I get accused of being the bully. We've had technical issues at the start of this show. And whilst we're having these te- technical issues, the subject of tea uh, came up. And I uh, berated this good land, a land that I like a lot, that I spend the majority of my time in, for the majority of the inhabitants not knowing what constitutes a good cup of tea. So, Doug, prove me wrong, right, (laughs) that Americans have no idea how to brew a good cup of tea. How do you make a cup of tea, sir? You put the leaves in the in the brown betty, and you, you add your hot water, you let it steep for a couple minutes, and then you pour it into a cup and you add your milk or your, or, or your lemon or whatever, or you drink it straight, as I tend to do. But you've got to do it in the pot and do it right. Emma, give him marks out of 10. I, 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 I mean, he's quite posh because he has leaves rather than bags. Exactly. <laughs> but every other step was perfect. Every other step was perfect. Uh, so the, the the boy would fit in quite well in Camden Town, I'm saying. <laughs> Doug, as you know, you're an American through and through. But why are you such a committed tea drinker? I'm a contrarian. <laughs> I've always wanted to do what other people don't want to do. So everybody else is drinking coffee. Hey, what's that other stuff? And I've also traveled a lot. And uh, I, I guess I, I really developed my appreciation for tea the first time I went to Japan. But it turned out when I was living in San Francisco the first time around, uh, there was a coffee shop around the corner run by this beautiful little Armenian man uh, who sadly is long gone. But he imported teas from all over the world. And uh, as much as he was an expert on coffee, he taught me a whole lot about different kinds of teas and why certain types of tea is better from the Far East and other tea is better from... Asia or you know, different, different places for different teas and blending and all that stuff. So teas, teas fascinating. You can learn about the world by becoming it's a teacher. Absolutely. Doug, what's been your takeaway the last seven days? I have been pleased to see how much people are paying attention to the terrible fires in Australia. Mm-hmm. And I am hopeful that this is helping alert more people to the consequences of all the things that we've done to the environment and also how important it is for countries and people from multiple countries to work together to deal with both the immediate crisis and the long-term one. Oh, Doug, 100%. I'm on my way to Australia next week. My brother lives over there. My heart is currently breaking. Every day. Every day I have to think about how I might change my holiday. Can you imagine? It's just just the worst thing. Well, and, and the truth is that, that the, the those of us who are thinking of going over to Australia as tourists, for the most part, do not need to change our plans. It's a big country, and there's a lot that we could do as tourists in other parts that are not affected, and that would be one way to support 
the people who are affected. That's by true, but it's a weird country because let's face it, everyone lives around the coasts of Australia. No one lives in the middle. The area that's affected, it is heartbreaking. I, I'm personally very concerned about the folks in the Adelaide Hills yeah, yeah. where some of the finest vineyards are. So what you're saying is the wine might be bad. <laughs> the wine the wine is going to be affected by this and that's very, very very personal. <laughs> <laughs> I care about wine. My my brother is saying like they're totally fine, but there's a fire twenty kilometers from him, and I'm like, I don't want a fire twenty kilometers from my brother. I don't want that. Like he he may be That's completely casual, but I'm like, no, no, no fire near my brother. <laughs> well, you should bring with you, take with you from from the UK uh, a box of N95 masks. Because if the smoke is heavy, if there's actual particles in the air, you do want to be protected when you're outside. That is a very real risk from 20 kilometers away. Okay. But the fire 20 mile, 20 kilometers away, that wouldn't worry me too much. Uh, he's my baby brother. Just, just to kind of end up on. Um, I haven't Australian done my takeaway yet. To end up on Australian fires. Okay. Not on takeaways of the week. <laughs> you'll fight. You're feisty this week. Um, I forget which uh, scion of the Murdoch family was taking great umbrage. I think it was James Murdoch. I'm not quite yeah. sure. People tell me if I was wrong, but it was one of them who was taking great umbrage at uh, Fox News and uh, basically uh, the whole Murdoch Empire's yeah. take on climate change denial. And it was James, I believe, yeah. So um, maybe this great catastrophe will have one uh, one upside, and it's the fact that uh, the, the biggest media company in, in Australia, which has its tentacles deep into American media and to UK media, will stop with its kind of climate change denial and 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 realize that um its position is actually uh, a, a small but significant part of the problem absolutely absolutely now over in london emma burnell Hello. with your lippy on uh <laughs> let us know what has been your take over the last seven days so it's not the last seven days but at the weekend i went to the uh volunteers party for mm -hmm. crisis uh, and my actual takeaway is, is just volunteering at Crisis, which is the most amazing thing I do year in, year out. It surprises me and shocks me and moves me in ways that I don't understand at any other time. Um, working in the centre that I do, which is with um, people with drug and alcohol dependency, so they are the more hard to reach I would say community and I love them I love my guests and I love my fellow visitors and every second I spend there whatever I'm doing whether it's standing in a gap being bored and cold or whether it's running the back office which occasionally I get dragged into do, I'm making a difference in a way that I think the Labour Party has lost that for me so crisis has brought that back and that's really important as part of who I am oh so how long have you been working with me? Uh that was my fourth year mm -hmm. uh, so four years like I, I came in the first year complete novice 
And and I still what's adorable is I still do the same thing. I'm still a general volunteer, so I can still be put like you go in a gap, you go uh, scrape plates. Uh, in fact, my favourite job in the world, literally, I'm not even joking with you, is uh, scraping people's plates after they've eaten, because mm-hmm. a those people haven't eaten a proper meal for a really long time. And they're so grateful. And then they feel like they should be giving something. And I'm like, no, no, we're servicing you. Give me your plate. I tidy up after you. And that for me is a huge respect thing. It's about showing them the respects that they deserve. And no one does that in any other space. So I get to do that. Once a year, I get to show the respect to other people that I would love to find other ways to show. And uh, Crisis gives me that opportunity. And I, I, I swear to God, I could not be more grateful for Crisis for doing that. Oh, well said. Well said, you. I kind of slightly struggle with, with my takeaway um, the last seven days. And it's not really one of the last seven days. A little bit like yours, Emma. This is kind of... Uh, a Christmas much one. more. No, it's not a Christmas one, but it's a, it's a long-standing mm. one. Um, I love house music, or at least early mm. house music anyway. <sighs> and I'm sufficiently old enough that I can remember those very first uh, releases. And there's a gentleman called Larry Hurd, who uh, sometimes called Mr. Fingers. Uh, and... I love his soulful, deep house. Have you ever heard uh, Baby Wants to Ride? Of course. Love, love that song. I think think that's Jamie Principal's Baby Wants to Ride. Yes, it is. is. So back in about 1986, 87, 88, 89, um, well, I wasn't DJing in 86, but I used to DJ. So things like Jamie Principal, Robert Owens, uh, Larry Heard, forward slash Mr. Fingers. Uh, It's just music of my formative years, but music which has never really left me. And one of the amazing but tragic things about a lot of those early house pioneers was that a lot of them had no idea how big their music was would be. um as, yeah well not even would be but even was at oh, the time really? because oh, a lot a lot of these early uh, producers and of course you got people like frankie knuckles yeah well, a lot of them baby wants to ride it almost probably did was uh, that a lot of them had day jobs and were producing this stuff literally just to be played out in in the warehouse club in in in, in Chicago and had no idea that uh, tracks and other labels were then exporting it to the UK and these were massive massive hits and stuff Um, anyway but Larry Heard beautiful soulful uh, musician who started off being a drummer who then transitioned by the early to mid 80s into being um, a producer Um, Can You Feel It Mysteries of Love Can You Feel It Can You Feel It That's the Jacksons that's the Jacksons. That's not like... Wrong can you feel it? Oh, my God. Yeah, it's a, completely the wrong can you feel it. So what I will do I at the end of the show, I'll just play a little bit of uh, Larry Heard and um, and can you feel it? Um, Doug, how can people catch up with you? 
on uh, on the socials? Uh, best way to find me is Twitter. I'm at SFDoug or on Facebook, Doug Levy News. Now, Emma, you've made this show, N- not just you, but it's going to be a bugger to edit because of you, Missy. I'm a bastard. Right. What can I do? <laughs> <laughs> Tell people how they can catch up with your works um, all over the interwebs if they're so inclined. Uh, the best thing to do, actually, is just go to my website where you'll find all of my latest articles, which is uh, politicalhuman.com. Smashing. And um, it, why don't you, good listener, quite simply, go tell a friend about the wonderful world that is Mid-Atlantic, where we try and understand and compare and contrast US and UK politics, and uh, from a left of centre perspective, but we are generous of spirit to our brethren who uh, vote right of centre. So why don't you tell people to come and listen to our show, write us a review on Apple Podcasts, or formerly known as iTunes, that's an incredibly important way of getting more listeners for our show and another important way that you can be part of the show part of our dialogue is going on to midatlanticshow.com and hitting the speak pipe tab on the right what it does it it allows you to record up to a two minute message which then we can include on the show and one of our uh, team can then uh, give you um, some kind of rebuttal or an answer to your question or your observation about US and UK politics. Thank you for Doug next time. <laughs> next time, you'll uh, have more Doug, more Emma, though I don't know if there'll be wine involved. <laughs> and uh, we'll talk about US and UK politics. Take care. Bye-bye. Does Laura sing yeah. O Canada? Uh, probably, but she didn't on the recording. Oh Canada. What is up with you today? <laughs> How much wine have you had? <laughs> My four little children 
Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.